0: Welcome to our podcast, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem Laced with Morality, where all authors and experts are invited to share, learn, and together pierce through the darkness with the spoken and written word. Well, I'm excited about our guest today. I know I always say that, but I really am. Um, Those of you who know me, um, who've been listening, who've been interviewed, you know that I love to hang out with other authors and industry experts. And today I'm excited because, um, this is a sister from another mister, this is, Hey, 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 this is, um, this is someone who we spent way too much time in the green room. Okay. We shan't talk about it. We won't talk about how long that was, but I'm excited to be with our guest today, Dana Pittman. We had the honor of meeting her through a, a mutual author friend, actually a client of hers, Karen, and she'll she'll talk about her a little bit. But Dana, I wanna talk about Dana a little bit and, and let you know what you're getting into. So she is a US Today, an international Amazon bestselling author of more than 40 published books, y'all. She is a certified story grid editor, a professional book plotter, and a self publishing consultant. She specializes in taking clients from the idea to the finished story. And many of her clients, they write romance, they write suspense, they write, uh, thrillers, they write paranormal fantasy. And some of them also write faith based books, which are devotions, studies, nonfiction, and and also romance. So I am excited, not only this. But she, so she owns a publishing company, okay? She teaches on, you know, the craft of writing and all that good stuff. And she writes, she has time to write and have a whole husband and and, and, and children and everything. Uh-huh. Um, a <laughs> whole. So I am so excited for my sister, Dana, to be here. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Listen, she told y'all all the stuff, uh, except for my social security number, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for having me. This has already been a very fruitful conversation, and I'm already enjoying myself. So, um, yeah. you you named all the stuff. So people are probably wondering if I have a clone, and I don't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So, so other than Karen, right? What, what? We, okay, we had a great conversation before we we actually got on this um, podcast, which we totally should have recorded. Um, Well, we mentioned Karen, and you can tell um, our listeners a little bit about her and what she writes. But you mentioned two authors that helped
1: spur you on to the career that you have now. So you can you share a little bit about that? Yes. Okay. So first, uh, Karen writes is Marie Hobbs. And she writes inspirational romance. And I like to say she reminds me of like 90s nostalgia, African American. If you remember like uh, Love and Basketball, Best yes. Man, that type of vibe, but it's inspirational. You will literally sit and not want to stop reading. And so you will, if you remember that time, you will love her books. She actually found me because she was a reader of my books. Oh wow! And I just talked one day in a newsletter about how, you know, we've been working on this project. I'd finally finished my my course and she emailed me and said, I want to take it. And we've been working together, I guess now for probably almost three years. Mm -hmm. And she has successfully completed two books. We're working on her third and I do believe she's probably not going anywhere. (laughs) No, I don't think so. I don't think so. she, you know, she's such a smart woman and, um, is a person that just does the work. She, she yeah. came knowing nothing about story structure and I had to help her to see that actually you do, you're a reader, yeah. you do. Yeah. And so we mm-hmm. really unpacked it and we, we spent some time And but she finished that her main novel. It's a hundred and, I think it's like a 110,000 words ish. She finished that plus the course in less than a year. Oh my goodness. Is it, is that the book better than good? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes, I picked that up good. so I'm
0: excited about that Yeah, it, it is funny. get
1: ready I mean you're just going to feel like those are your sisters and it's uh-huh. not for people you know well your audience will agree but it's, it's nothing like you know some people worry about it bashing you over the head if it's yeah. preachy it's not like that but you really will feel how faith intersects with everything that you do and how yeah. she's going through a time where she's kind of just focused on what she wants which is tenure and she wants it so bad that uh she's she's not even praying about it she's just like i'm gonna do this thing and then she realizes you know when she stumbles and kind of meets this guy she she's not even bold enough or courageous enough to pray about should she pursue so it's it's a really great i think it's a testament to women who are um very not just gifted they are very uh I want to say decorate, but they are very, they are very ambitious in their careers, yeah. and how mm-hmm. sometimes they find that their personal life may have suffered because. Yeah, of it. I so can identify. Different. I can. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. See, look, come on, <laughs> I' on, get your copy. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I have it. I have it. Yeah, on. yeah. So, so now, what about you? How, mm-hmm. how do you? How do you, how do you do the balancing act? Because that's always an issue with people who write and most of our listeners, if they're not readers, they're authors and they work full time in, in completely different careers because very few authors get to actually do this for a living. So we're, we're really blessed. Um, but how do you balance that? How do you balance, you know,
1: managing the publishing, your own writing and clients and then teaching? Hmm. Um, well, first planning, and I, I'm going to back up just a tad bit and then I'll answer this question. Yes. Um, the uh, the second part of that question was about the two authors that inspired yes, me. I'm sorry, I forgot so about that. that
2: right? I, I got you. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah. the, that inspired me. One was Evelyn Palfrey, and she was an independently published author that was in the Austin area. Uh, the yeah. book that I had of hers that kind of started everything was The Price of Passion and Three Perfect Men, where for the first time I saw a book with African-American characters as the leaves. And I was blown away. And she wasn't, I haven't talked to her in years, but she was an um, RVer. She loved to travel and she brought that to the books. And I was like RVing and it just opened my eyes. And then she introduced me to Beverly Jenkins who um, that I would just say, she's my number one, um, my top author that I love. I read her book Indigo at least once a year and I've had that book since I was in high school.
2: Really? And
1: yes, it's so good. Oh my goodness, yeah. she makes it, it's a historical African-American romance and she tells factual his, historical based romances based on real people, even though it's fictionalized and so in that particular book it's about an Afri- uh, a man that could pass um, but also he's a, a slave stiller, and they they pay him to go back and go to the south to bring their loved ones to um, the north and he falls in love with a girl who was a um, a slave who used to dye the fibers and so her hands and her feet are stained purple because that's what kids did to contribute and even with that said most people would think is it depressing is it sad and it's not oh my goodness it's so Mm -hmm. it just Mm -hmm. shows the fabric and the fiber of who we are and the fact Mm -hmm. that they are dealing with you know should we marry in these times when things are it's Mm -hmm. before the um, they were dealing with Jim Crow and so she was a librarian and she Mm -hmm. brought that to her romance so if you ever get a chance to read one of her books read it read, read it
0: that's and powerful. That's, that's powerful because um, right here in Jacksonville, there's a plantation. That, and they have tours and all of that. But what was what's fascinating is this particular plantation specifically dyed fabric, and they talked about the cruelty to to slaves when this happened because their lives were usually short because their feet and hands were stained purple, like you said, um, or and indigo and. Because their their hands and feet often were always so wet, they would have infestations of bugs in their hands and they'd get all kinds of infections and often died because of those things. But so so it's so historically um, accurate and, mm-hmm. and needed to know, wow, look at some of the things that people went through and how they still fought for love and normalcy during abnormal times.
1: Yeah, and how she just was trying to and she was, um, and uh, she worked on the Underground Railroad in the book, mm-hmm. um, and how uh, it made it hard for her to have a sense of normalcy at times in the North because so she always had to wear gloves, yeah. and um, so people would not see her hands. Um, yeah. And it also made her um, target uh, by slave catchers. Gosh. So, but what I found in those two women was number one, mm-hmm. um, I found uh, brown women. Yeah. Right? And then, yeah. okay. The drool worthy. Okay. I know yeah. that. <laughs> um, and it made me um, envision a different existence for myself at a time where I was in a low income environment yeah. and a lot wasn't expected. And yet when I read books, I saw options. So mm. um, now as a person who a woman, a wife, a mother, um, mm who, who I get to do this for a living and help other people do it. I balance it because it's part of uh, what I love to do. Um, mm-hmm. But it's part of my assignment, right? And, yeah. Um, to help people to realize what they've always wanted to do. I think it's a statistic like 93 or 90 something percent of people always want to write a book, but only 3% actually do it. Yes. And yeah. I'm like, I, if you go to my site, I would say, I want to help people be three presenters. Because if I believe it, if you have this nudging to write the book, we need you around mm-hmm. you need you to yes. do that assignment. Yeah. And so, um, so those two women helped me, they they and before that i never read romance before i'm like i had Mm -hmm. friends i was used to say well you read those little books that's what i used to say. oh you didn't read harlequin no (laughs) until after i found them and then that's when they had kimani press and that's when they had other um i remember when bet had arabesque i used to read those books and so um and then and then to know now um, the overflow of that is now that I I write an African American romance, I write interracial uh, romance. I help people to realize their writing dreams and and the way that I manage it is a very tight calendar at times, but am yeah. um, always being aware that that's a part of myself that I always want to express. So it's always okay. a priority.
0: Yeah. well, so tell me, tell me why. That's important to see yourself in print, and mm-hmm. what I mean by seeing yourself by see you said you had never you had never seen um, writing that that engage African American people or people who were in you know mixed relationships or what. Tell mm-hmm. me how that empowered you.
1: Well, it empowered me number one because I I remember reading about um, having dark brown skin and i'm dark toned. you know i'm not i I, i'm on you know as a person that's a darker toned uh black woman you know when i was younger that was a thing right um so Mm. reading about that reading about them going being doctors and lawyers and i was thinking what because at this time um we lived in a project. So I wow. that's that was so outside of that was the projects in the nineties. You talking about grandkids kids and so your environment, my environment said one thing, but books told me mm. something else.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So to me, representation, people think it's just about oh, it's gotta be nonfiction, it's gotta be educated and scholarly. And my thing is this, I would probably have more people pick up my book than a nonfiction person will at any given point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. they, they're for the steamy at times but I, there's a lot of things that I can do in those words, in those sentences and in those paragraphs, in those chapters Yeah. and so to me it just gave me in my brain options because just like you can read a story and see solutions or see problems a different way or mm-hmm. see um, through someone else's eyes and their lens you can also expand your options yes. and it makes you wonder hmm, I what if yeah. What if, what if I wanted to, maybe right. I, I, maybe I could get an RV. Maybe I can ask my girlfriends. To, and the moment you start that, what if dialogue, it just changed. It changes your life and everyone that has, uh, that's in your sphere of influence. Everyone yeah. changes. Uh, yeah. And, and, you
0: know, typically you, you're not, you're, you are not you you do not see things with black people going camping or having an RV And so that just opens up other doors and it stops stereotyping even our hobbies or our our recreational activities. Girl, they
1: were glamping before glamping was a glamp, okay? (laughs) We were three sisters in an RV riding around having a good time. They were glamping before it was a thing. And, wow and I I remember when we when I finally met her and we would go and we would have lunch and stuff and she still was an RV or she would go um and go to uh concerts and stuff in Louisiana and she just would get in and to me it always was a, this representation of like don't limit yourself you can do right. absolutely anything all you have to do is want it right. and be willing to work for it and now You know, um, I remember uh, here uh, a year or so back, I interviewed uh, Miss Beverly and she said, you know, you you young writers now get to pick up the baton and tell our stories, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what it is. It's about telling our stories, telling stories of Black women, whether we are depicted as super strong and argumentative or whether we are depicted as don't nobody want you or especially in this in the influence of love you know single yeah. parents and and mm-hmm. I get to tell all of those stories and mm-hmm. I try my absolute best to represent well the good bad the ugly and yeah. the hot you know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> and um
1: and while I'm doing it I learn about me and people and humanity And I hope that other people do too. And I get so many times, I know them. I wish I had a family like this. And because I want them to feel that way. I want them to feel loved. And I want them to feel seen. And I want them to feel like they can leave whatever they had before they picked up that book. They can leave it to the the left. It'll be there when they're done. Mm -hmm. And have a really good time. Amen. So yeah. Oh,
0: wow. That's so good. And just to think of how that interact because you ended up writing um it was Evelyn Mm -hmm. Evelyn a letter and she answered you and then invited you
1: yes I wrote her
0: a physical letter a real letter not an email
1: no email we didn't have an email like (laughs) that oh a physical letter put a stamp on it mail (laughs) handwritten and she and she wrote me back and she invited me to a book club meeting and I was 16 and to be wow. and, and, and to me I, she invited me to a mansion you let wow. me tell it felt like I was going to a mansion so right. it changed literally it changed the rest of my life
0: my goodness literally wow.
1: because I went into a bookstore the bookstore owner recommended the book I bought mm-hmm. the book I read it and so I feel like Especially now when you have so many dynamics of what is considered to be, whether it's the Black experience, the writer's experience, the woman's Mm -hmm. experience. Like you have, whether it's media or TV or social media that's shaping Mm -hmm. it. I really feel, and I told you this before, for like, as a writer, we get this very... Um, special invitation to rest right between people's ears. Yes. Right in their mind. You know, when people are reading most books and they're reading it with their eyes, they're not even verbalizing the words. We're going straight in there. And I take that responsibility. Um, I don't take it lightly.
2: Hmm.
1: um, Because I really feel like it's an opportunity. And honestly, it's just you and that person.
2: Mm -hmm. It's just
1: you and that person. So, all of that it forms even though when i sit down and i put my fingers on the keys or i dictate it's just me and that story of the people that's just gnawing at my yeah <laughs> i can't let it go <laughs> um and that they're just you know chomping at the bit uh for yeah. their story to be told and i just am i'm blessed that i'm the one that get that i get to tell it and that i've managed to make it so that I can support my family and do it too so Mm -hmm. um, now I've told you my kids uh, help in the publishing company my husband does Um, and so we don't publish other people we now have other that are now we do stories and acquire stories now but not like an open um, because that's not at least not now but I get to really just tell stories and now I get to do stuff to the shapeshifters so it's just a lot of fun a lot a lot of fun
0: but this speaks to the power of mentorship, right? Oh yes. The, oh, the power of um, relationship in this community, and and having people who take the time to walk you through, you know, how to do this, and open doors for you, you know. And I find that writers tend to be some of the most giving uh, people who are just they just I haven't met them anyway who are not competitive against each other. Um, they're just so willing to help each other. And it is especially powerful when you read an author who looks like you, who experiences things like you and, and then open doors for you in what she writes and then forms a relationship with you and and, and is in, engages you and is not um, stingy with her platform and with her connections and then goes on to introduce you to other people and circles that help to you know create the path for your for the profession that you're in now what an amazing mm-hmm. story
1: mm-hmm. yeah mm. and i think part of that too because of how long i've been doing it i remember when i first started doing self-publishing, there was, I mean, we didn't have the internet, right? Like, let's come on a super 100, right? We didn't have where you could just go on or like you would have books in a lot of circles, but it wasn't a lot of brown people. Right. And um, and um, a lot of times when you did meet people back then, it was street vendors or right. it was... Selling out the back of their, their cars in the that. truck. Yeah. You had to, you know, you didn't do print on demand. You had to buy a thousand copies of plus. Exactly. So mm-hmm. learning how to, once I started doing it, that, that's what transitioned me into services because it mm-hmm. was nowhere yeah. and, um, and starting to help people to be able to do it for themselves because I knew I ne- I never really aspired to just kind of have a whole publishing house it just seemed like mm-hmm. it would be overwhelming but <laughs> it was helpful to, it was I just felt like you know all the doodads and the do hickeys you got to do yeah but um but to be able to walk people through the process and that's where people like karen come into play we started where she just had an idea and Mm -hmm. now walked her all the way through she owns the rights to her stuff she knows Mm -hmm. how to go in and publish her own books she knows all of that and i'm right along with her through the whole process and it's really a, a a another manifestation of someone helped me yeah so now i help her
2: mm-hmm. and so
1: on and so forth so it's yeah. it is and and now look at the story she's telling right mm-hmm. um of faith <laughs> and um african-american and like now black love and you yeah know, it and exists <laughs> it's and, <you> know, real <laughs> you know? so it is it's just like i said i i remind myself often there are moments where i literally will stop and was like i get paid to do this like it, the fact that I get paid to read, like, it's just, I don't think yeah. it will ever get old. Yeah. I hope no, it never that, if gets you
0: old. No, if you love it, it, it never does get old. But piggybacking on our last question, when I was asking, how do you do it? How do you manage to wear all of those different hats and do it well?
1: I just, well, the first thing is, like, literally, it's a schedule. Uh, part of it is literal uh, I do time blocking there are certain days where certain that I'd work on solely on particular tasks. Like I get up at three and by the, by five I'm at my desk and from five to nine, I work on my own work. Wow. And then from nine until um, one, I'm either in uh, coaching, um, editing one-on-ones. Um, sometimes I'm doing things like this, which usually I only do these on Fridays because yeah. that's my free day. I don't, I don't book stuff, but stuff like this right and then um i take a nap almost every day because yes. i need to refresh oh yes and, and um and i have lunch with my husband and we yell at i yell at Jerry Springer on our lunch break <laughs> and we do it every day people was like you watch that garbage every every day every garbage. day girl, because you need to be able to like reset and laugh yeah. and we just yeah. it's just we literally are having a hoop and then um because me and my husband his office was right across the hall like we work from home from, for over 20 years and so we, we we do the same thing every day and then the afternoons are usually uh one-on-ones and coaching calls and then i try my best to be done at the latest 5 5:30. 30 yeah. um and then any other wrap-up if i need to do you know updating client files if i need to send emails i'll do those until i try my best to be done by like six and I do that Monday through Thursday. I don't do any client work on the weekends. Yeah. Um, that's my time exclusively. So usually mm-hmm. though I have what I call workshop days on Saturdays where I'm learning or working on tasks for my coach mm-hmm. because I'm always trying to get better. And then Sunday is rest day. I hang out with my kids. Yeah. Sometimes I'm reading. Um, a lot of times it's sometimes it's even having to catch up on things. But yeah, it's taken years to kind of work on that so that it, right. there's a balance but I'm fortunate that the only person that I answer to for the most part is me and my husband. Yeah. And then I have clients of course, but I even those I only take because right. I want to do it and I set that up to fit my life. Right. And yeah. um so that I do get to do what I want to do when I want to. Yeah. Uh and but tell us a little time. about about the classes that you teach. Sure. Okay, yeah. so um, our flagship or our main course is called the Addictive Novel Mentorship Program. Mm-hmm. And in that, I teach writers what goes in your story.
2: Mm-hmm. so it's
1: not how to write but like what are the elements that are true to your niche that you want to write so right. every writer kind of walks away with something different I teach them about reading like a writer um how do you mind for the nuggets of information that are conventions or um or what readers expectations are in Excellent. your niche and how do they show up in books Um, Teach them about reading the market. How do you do market research so you can understand what are those tropes and the elements that readers are looking for that make Mm -hmm. your book both marketable and engaging? Mm -hmm. um, How to build characters. Um, And I just so it's we we kind of work through that. That's a 12 week process in that. And we open that up twice a year. Um, Mm -hmm. This year at the time of this recording, we um, are doing a workshop series where it's a lot of more niche information. The workshop that we just did was on creating um, addictive story concepts, which is how do you find um, the elements that are engaging and makes your book both engaging and marketable. So it's really not about just romance. It's really about how do you read the romance or your niche market and how do you take those elements and mind them in such a way before you plot, before you right. write. And um, the next one coming up um, is going to be on a, like a deep dive in characters, which I call it's, it's the characters for me. Uh, so it's not about yeah. eye color or what they like to eat, but yeah. it's about what makes characters, those that readers will love okay. or that they love to hate right and what causes that character to be that way and what are the Mm. questions you should ask yourself and then I show them how do you get that information on the page right So it's workshops like that that I'm usually teaching my clients in a one-on-one capacity but because I don't have a lot of one-on-one capacity space we decided to start bringing some of these specialized workshops Um, We're going to cover some other very pressing topics like um, dictation and uh, research, how we have uh, creating series, because I do not start a book in a series until I have an idea of where the entire series is going, Mm -hmm. Um, the different depths of uh, plotting, which I call plotting accordion, whether it's a little or a lot based on your particular writing style Mm -hmm. and a couple of others. So it's some of the things that I teach but it's kind of in, in depth so that people can get it if, um, if they can't get to me on a one-on-one capacity. So is it
0: specific to romance writers or can anyone benefit from your Great
1: process? question. It's anyone. Now my primary clients are romance and fantasy, but yeah. if you are developing characters, Everybody in yeah. characters. Amen. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I edit, you know, I edit others, but those are like my core because it's kind of what I love, but it can be anyone. Um, okay. I do help them to try to, um, if there's elements. So for example, one of the elements that I have when I do, um, I teach a technique called um, the uh, perfect seven, which are the seven elements that you can prepare before you sit down and write a scene so that you don't stare at a blank page. And one of my elements is usually because I'm in romance, like, how does the love element evolve in this chapter? Well, you may not do that because it's a thriller. Yours Mm -hmm. may be, what is another red herring that they're experiencing, (laughs) right? So you would define that particular element in a way that serves your reader, Mm -hmm. right? And so Mm -hmm. I help them with that, but... In the end, it could be for anyone. It really, right. I really like to teach the fundamentals so that if I'm ever working with them one-on-one, yeah. they know what they're doing and we can get to the good stuff and not the basics.
0: Right. So we're not talking about dialogue, tags and com Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yes, yeah. Yes, That's good yes, stuff. Yes. <laughs> Cause,
1: wow. Because it's necessary, but it's not fun. Right. It's necessary. Uh, but yeah, so I, I do. I also like to have those moments because I feel like a lot of times, you know, more than what you realize.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like, how do we connect? And it'll make you have more confidence and clarity when you're coming to the page. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I always, you know, I aim to do.
0: Yeah, that's good. So what about you? When you put on your author hat, are you more interested in creating like a good standalone or are you more invested in creating a series?
1: Well, I would say for romance, because it really does lend itself to our bottom line is I love series, but, and that's common for Romance because a lot of our readers want to know about the best friend or yeah, the yeah, sibling. Right, with, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of where, but I like it too. I find that now I'm testing something different right now, but mm-hmm. I find that I like it because it allows me to go in depth with characters without being stuck to those two characters right, right? Okay. like I can uh, I was telling you about one of my biggest series which is um the southern gentleman series yeah. and um in that series I thought about this these parents that were married and they got divorced basically they had a, a they own a soul food restaurant in Houston right. it's fictitious but a soul food restaurant in Houston and essentially having kids and having a restaurant essentially destroyed their marriage right Uh, and they got a divorce well Mm this the the series is about how each one of their children their five kids how each one of them absorbed that divorce Mm -hmm. and now because it's romance they're going to find that happily ever after that's that you know that's our convention but they're there. Each child has a different perspective of love and a different right. approach to love and a, and a different approach to how they live their lives. And because of it, a lot of it stemmed from that first relationship that they saw right. severed. And ooh, so but isn't I, that so good? When it, super, listen, this I'd
0: be like, oh,
1: and every book I've been putting the little bits. And so when readers yeah. email me like, wait a minute, she did what? by the way to the next book because I've been right. dropping little nuggets in there so right. I love that I love it because um, I like the opportunity to look at a thing from different angles mm-hmm. right it's kind yeah. of like if it's in the center of the room everyone's um, perspective of that element even though we may be looking at the same thing how we interpret it and
0: yes. what we see
1: is different based on oh, our Lord. yeah. so I love to do that I love yeah. to do that and I mean, it just, listen, as you can see, I get geeky. I'm like, like oh, that's good. Like, no,
0: but that's so good because even in families, right? When I'm the oldest of, of uh, five siblings, we could talk about something that happened in our childhood and there are five different perspectives. I'm like, were you really there? I'm like, that is not how it happened. That's not, and so yes. how we how we see it is is memorized differently. How we interact with it is different. Uh, and so that is very real, especially with a subject like divorce, which obviously isn't going anywhere. I wish it would, but we've, we've been impacted by it. I know I'm a divorcee, uh, thankfully remar- happily remarried, but that is a very real um, issue.
1: Yeah. And I think,
0: yeah, even if you haven't been divorced, you know someone who's divorced, You, uh, you it just impacts
1: everyone today. Yeah, and then one of the things about romance, I think sometimes people kind of just get stuck on the sexy times, but because of what we're talking about, like, love is the thing that every single person with a pulse (laughs) wants. Yes. Whether they want it from a man or a woman or a dog or a cat, I don't know, they want it.
0: Hopefully
1: not. Right? They want it and what gets in the way of that and we're talking about this essentially the core of humanity right and even in that series like the oldest son his he was he old because to him when his father left he became the father of the house okay yeah as the oldest son Mm -hmm. the oldest son with five kids and your mom is running a business on her own Mm -hmm. and the responsibilities And how that affected the way he went into relationships and responsibility and the way he saw his father when the father came back Uh and so being able to explore that Mm -hmm. um about how you have people because they were in single parent households where they feel like a parent before they're ever a parent or yeah it's it's not we get to look we get the fun bits you know they go with it yeah but we really are talking about the things that have the ability to break people or to heal people Mm -hmm. and um and so i i love it i really really love it as you can see (laughs) yeah well how did publishing your first book change your process of writing or did it oh it changed everything because i i had never wrote a book before yeah so I I was working as a PR, in PR, and um, I used to represent clients, and I would read their books, and I would tell them, because I was an avid reader, I was like, if you just do these different things, this will make this book so much easier to sell. Yeah. I remember okay. that then, and I just knew it from reading. Okay. And I remember one day, I said, if y'all just did what I said, y'all yeah. would make so much more money. This oh, was okay. me to them. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to show you and i decided to write a book oh and that's okay
0: <laughs> that and the rest is history
1: story. the rest okay
0: is history.
1: the rest was history i learned the good bad and the ugly it's still available now people still buy it, it i mean i probably should go back in but i won't touch anything because it's where i started and yeah. um now what was, was the title of that book it's called Black Diamond. It's um, it's a romantic suspense about an undercover FBI agent who is she's investigating conflict diamonds trafficking, and um, the love interest is a CIA agent. And we talk about how the FBI and CIA have kind of bad blood, and and the in the whole time the person that she's tracking is right under her nose. So it's probably your type of book and it's closed door so it's because this was my first book closed door intimacy um but it was my first book and it was a story that had been in my head for a long time of this black woman who felt like she had to get this case solved because she sacrificed so much yes yeah being there. Wow. and um and she's working undercover in a jewelry company and so yeah and and then wait People loved it so much that they rallied for me to do book two, which is with the main character was the villain from the book one. He was the leader of a rebel group uh, and they were the ones doing the conflict diamonds. And so in book two, he is vying to become part of a secret society with, with wait, his, the candidate who he is in, uh, they're both going after the same seat is the Bishop of a church
0: shut up. Oh my goodness. So Black Diamond, it has a lot in common with my first thriller coming out. Yeah, it's this it's a CIA agent. Um, he has a so he, one of his friends has a, his wife is an FBI agent. Okay, and and now I'm writing the prequel because her story wanted to be told. So she now she is that but oh my gosh, yes. And I doing the research. There's conflict with the FBI and CIA, yeah. but they also at sometimes work together. Sometimes um, they go. They, sometimes the FBI agent becomes a CIA agent, and and vice versa. A lot of people don't know that. So ooh. Yeah. Anyway, I have that. That would be such a fun thing if I if we did like a thing together and released like a bundle right
2: oh my goodness <laughs> black go.
0: diamond and a fifth and, of
1: the story This and this was so sad and my readers were probably just like grown because i have literally been it's like i have the third book plotted i have not started writing it and i said this year's the year that i write it because this is a it, year yeah yeah because it's different and it's one of those ones that's a passion project because it really is now so different to the way that are right now because it is romantic suspense or eventually kind of turns into a romantic thriller yeah. um because um the guy that um in book two the villain in book two um is basically back with a vengeance and he's tracking them down
2: Ooh,
1: okay and it brings back the characters from book one and the characters from book two okay. and um and even and even in book to Af- which is called African Emerald we have the villain but what we learn is how he became the leader of of a rebel group and mm. and that's when I really learned about in that series my thing that always remind myself is like nothing is ever black and white there's no. always shades of grey and always. his thing was that his uh, village was um, overtaken and ransacked his mother and his family was killed and he was actually pulled into uh became a soldier and that became his mission to kill them all and mm. and then he just kind of embodied this thing because he was so hurt mm. um and but but in book one we just saw him as the this, this you know feeling and he yeah. was that because he'd owned that but it had been years after so in african emerald he meets someone who helps him i mean it's not hurt like she heals him but he's A different man and he sees life differently and um and so I really got to explore a lot um um the bishop is doing money laundering and um through the church (laughs) and but but even his that never happens never (laughs) right and even his story like his backstory was really the thing of like having the type of father who had a wandering eye that was a preacher And what it taught him and so i really like i like to explore both sides my thing that i tell myself when i'm writing those books is like there's very few people who wake up and say i want to be bad today how many people can they get there by by circumstances exactly and it's like everything is a decision that means you're only one decision away from making a different decision oh my that's a Whew, that's a non-fiction okay. book all in itself listen and that's and that's how i go into writing those stories when people was like oh my gosh he's so bad but i just want to keep reading about him and I was like because you see his humanity you see right. what the struggle is right yeah. like you see it and um and i and that's remember. writing a good
0: villain is making mm-hmm. is is not just making them all bad but just showing the depth of character how they got there um you, you know what what was going on in their past, yes. or even their present reality, to get them to that point. There's always a story behind exactly. it. Even when we see these heinous things that happened, uh, that happen in in real time, there, there's a. Re- it was. It didn't just happen overnight. That person, what, well, <laughs> their conscience was de- decomposing all along because of thing after thing after thing, and it also shows us maybe you know too, how. You know, how we handle certain things, how we not allow it to to make us toxic or hateful or murderous, you
1: know. And I think the other part, too, which is another thing we talked about earlier, it really helps you to see how literature really plays a part in the fabric of our lives. Right. Like in different ways. And I think people can easily see that in in um, nonfiction but I love to champion as you can see how fiction does the same thing if you let it because um, as a person who I do research I love to really get in there and eat. now will it be a dissertation no ain't nobody got time for that but but I do like for you to feel again which kind of comes back to that workshop like I really want you to feel like as to whether you should like them or not like but that did happen um, yeah maybe because the moment you can see that person for a person it really does expand what you know what you understand and again I don't take that lightly so I do I I love it and that was my first series and then just from there just growing as a writer and, and deciding and growing as an editor and seeing how I wanted things to be and where I wanted my books to sit and wrestling with things as a person Mm -hmm. that you bring to the page. And, um, and so now it just, I get, I got a nice mixture. I got steamy romance. I have a a re-release that I hope comes out this year. It was released before and coming back. That's a, um, uh, a romantic psychological thriller, um, that I just, because I am my own publisher, like I get to do, right? I get Ooh, That's to. so much fun. I do. Mm,
0: mm, mm, mm. Well, what was the best money you've ever spent as a writer?
1: Do you think? Oh, I would always say my coaches. coaches. I always have a coach. Um, I realized early on that I can't expect people to invest in me being their coach right? Mm-hmm. If I'm not willing to invest in a coach. And then in the past two years, it has been finding coaches that are in the rooms that I want to be in.
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: So mm-hmm. like when I knew once I was like, you know what, I need to be in a room with millionaires down. It's like yeah. I'm a, a multimillionaire coach. That's uh, my yeah. coach or mentor. And I have that. And so I know that that's a precursor to you being able to shape like the book, right? To shape the vision yeah. that you want for your life. So you know how to pursue it so I would definitely say my coaches
0: wow so you've achieved quite a bit of literary success what does further success look like to you like if you were to have the the perfect literary life what would that look like well not (laughs) (laughs) let's go for it (laughs) come on let's see <laughs> right
1: now um i just kind of vocalized um uh, i was just talking about this on my podcast i oh, vocalized that i want to make my my pen name a top 100 uh author on amazon which okay. is very rare for african Americans. yes based literature, but I don't care. That gives me something to aspire to. Right. I also like the opportunity of doing things and sharing and growing, whether it's my marketing list and everything, to be able to share my client stuff and continue to work. But I think it's probably been since my kids, um, they're adults now and I realized, you know what? I don't need people to know my name. Yeah. I don't need them to know. And I think that was a, a big... Sigh of relief that I could have a full living doing what I want to do, and mm-hmm. very few people will know Janice Dixon,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: Wow. Um, but here's the thing but for the people who have encountered, mm-hmm. most will remember. I know oh, that, wow. right? That's amazing. or Dana Pittman, right? And so, yeah. to me, that means I'm look, I look, I understood the assignment, so that's where <laughs> I am now, you know. I think. You know, having that type of moment, is kind of like when I hit USA Today, it will be one of those moments that'll be great. But if it didn't, I, I w- it wouldn't be no love lost. And the aspiration of it and the things that I'm doing right now in my business and in my writing and in my plotting to make that happen. it, it Listen, it's a whole song and dance and orchestra over here. Wow. But it feels like life, yeah, right? like pulsating life. So yeah, that's, that's what it is to be a, you know, a, um, ultimately be a seven figure earner as an indie published author in my own Mm. publishing company.
0: Wow. Okay. And then it, so a lot of people in this profession don't have the background that you have in marketing. So please share with us, what are some of the most effective ways to market books? Hmm.
1: And this is the area where like now I have two mentors that are just beasts of marketers that I'm like, love sitting under them because I know to make this next transition, like I learned how to do it, to get to five figures and now I'm working to get towards six so that seven is in my reach. Right. And so Uh, I think number one, that people underestimate how important it is to know your market and to build uh, that into your book. Which is why that's what I teach, you know. It, what the moment that I sat down in um, the most pivotal that series I told you, which is Southern Gentlemen, I decided to spend some time camped out in my reviews.
2: Mm-hmm. Ooh,
1: I know. Ooh. And baby, okay. it was I had the good, bad, and the ugly. <sighs> It was Ooh. like, some of it made me happy. Some of it made me want to cry. I was like, why would you say that? Like, Ooh. goodness, who kicked you? Yeah. Who peed in your yeah. cereal this morning? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, how like, like, do one review? like, this is the best thing ever. And this was like, yeah. who let this woman write? You know? Oh, no. And so I sat there and I really wanted to know why do people love reading my books? I know why I like writing them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I didn't know why people loved reading them. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I did that for probably a couple months. Mm -hmm. I went through books. I just kind of dwindled it down. And then once I had that list, that's when I built my best series so far.
0: And so to me,
1: I learned firsthand how you really can bake in the things that readers are looking for and still write a book you love to write. People, I think people throw around that right to market and all this stuff. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say it like that. I would, I recently was at a conference and I thought Melanie Harlow did an amazing talk and she talked about um, don't feed them spaghetti when all they want is cake. Mm -hmm. And what she talked about was exactly what I learned by Mm -hmm. trial and error, which is, don't try to give people what they don't want they're not gonna buy it they don't want it right yeah and so my thing was like when I'm working with my clients is how do we find the intersection Mm -hmm. between what you want to write and what Mm -hmm. the market is looking for Mm -hmm. and when I went into that series I just I knew what I was going for I knew what I wanted I knew I wanted four brothers I knew I wanted one sister I knew I wanted I knew each one of their makeups before I wrote a single book Right, wow. and um, and it really changed everything after that, um, in mm. my life, in my earnings, in my understanding of story, um, in my aspirations. So, I would wow. say that number one, number two, I would say that um, people underestimate the fact that you really should start marketing early, yes, you really mm-hmm. should have a list. I think sometimes people think you should have a list because they're concerned whether they want to go with a trap publisher or find an agent and they want to make themselves um, look good on paper. But Mm -hmm. I think the other part about this is the fact that there are a lot of books published Mm -hmm. on a month to month basis. And so having an audience that's there, even if some, you know, let's say they don't all buy it, even if you cultivate that and having a thing about you that they enjoy coming back to, it just goes a long way. It goes a yeah. long way, and I would probably say the third thing is, I would probably say don't don't get too caught up on the highs and don't get too caught up on the lows, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you know, I'm a person where if I I make the decision, I'm gonna do this. I don't care what nobody say. They mind <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyway. And once I make that decision, I move forward. I don't get too you know they yeah you know I got a number one, got an orange tag. I celebrate. I I don't wait for people to give me my flowers. I buy my own gift and (laughs) and I keep it it rolling and I move on to the next project. And um, because I really do believe, or at least I hope that my determination and how I do it and how I carry myself when I do it, that I could be even a fraction of what the Miss Evelyn and Miss Beverly and. You know miss francis ray and you know all those ones that i used to read did for me if i can even a fraction of that yeah i understood the assignment and i i did that yeah so those are the three things that i would say that's
0: good wow so you said something early. i was going um about your reviews and i did want to touch i did want to touch on that subject so when it comes to reviews so you do you you do Mm -hmm. read the good and the bad uh, Review. So, what, what was your takeaway after reading the reviews? Did it
1: change? It oh, obviously way. changed the way you wrote. <laughs> it changed the way I wrote, but I also know I can't read the reviews anymore. I'm way okay. too tenderhearted. People think because I'm all like, I'm here, I'm me, hit me, Yeah. But I'm like, I'm like, why would you say that about me? Like I want to not <laughs> hard. So now that I don't read them anymore. But or I try not to. I'm. I, I would be lying if I said I did. not But. <laughs> What it did is, um, I I would say it probably is my legal brain that makes me very analytical Mm -hmm. at some things. I'm not analytical to the point where I'm like dissecting numbers, but Mm -hmm. I'm analytical to the point of like, here's what I sought out to do, and here's how they received it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Here's what Mm -hmm. I was aiming for, or here's what I thought I was doing, and this is how they interpreted it. Mm -hmm. So that's actually what turned me into a plotter. Ooh. Um, because I took that and I was being very intentional I was like okay if this is what so how do I make it you know it's kind of like how do I turn it a couple ticks this way because mm-hmm. in the beginning I was like I'm not getting more views and people are not like I know it's a good story when people read it they love it What's yeah. the deal? And right. I really found out I just wasn't putting enough tropes in my stuff or mm-hmm. I wasn't marketing it appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found, I found that in that it let me know what I was doing right, where I could grow. And then, it, and then what I did is I literally started taking classes. Mm-hmm. I started, I started like being very honest with myself on the things. I just, I'm just not going to change. I'm just not going to change it. Yeah. And so people are just going to be mad about it or the yeah. things that I knew I could get better at and I wanted to get better at. And yes. I would, I'm always in a class. Um, I'm always reading both fiction books in my market because of clients I'm reading stuff that's outside of my market. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it made me probably a lot more intentional and it showed me because of its success that I was on the right path. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. now, I mean, again it that's what turned me into being you know plotting for other people because wow. i really learned how to plot and really lay out what i see and how to read the market okay. and i have so much fun doing it. it's so much yeah. fun without the work and the labor it's yeah
0: do you use any any type of software to help you do plots no which just so yeah just no. like okay
1: my the okay. only but the only it's a i got an old tattered book that has mm-hmm. all my cheat codes and my templates. And so when I'm plotting, I pull that out and my desk is an absolute mess. And right. my old ones Sorry. are in sheet protectors with 15 different colors on them. And every time I learn something new, I have another aha moment or learn about how to bring a level of depth to characters or whatever. I just yeah. make note of it. And mm-hmm. I literally just do it in a either a Google Doc or Word Doc. Or Now, I do use Scrivener. Oh, okay. But I find that I don't use it as much now because I'm getting, I've been a lot busier in the past couple of years. And um, I find that Google Docs are more portable. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then when I get into the editing round, I put it in Scrivener. So mm-hmm.
2: yeah, no, okay. no
1: particular software. I pretty much, that was part of my learning. I, I, And this is the last story because I know we got to wrap it up. I went yeah. to a conference and I remember um, seeing oh i always forget his name his name is dean wesley i believe and his book is called writing into the dark or something to that i'm not quoting it but it's really close to it yeah and he did a talk about how when he writes a book he writes one draft he doesn't have to go back to read it um he can send it off and he's done and on to the next book and my my, mind exactly the whole talk, my mind was blown. Okay. Back to analytical Dana. I was like, how in the H E double hockey sticks? Yeah, I was sitting there and the whole time he's talking and my brain was like, how does he do it? Dana? How does he do it? It's gotta be right. And, and I took, that was the one thing that my mind kept saying, how does he do it? Because this is a person where I'm writing a lot. I'm going. I write many books a year. I'm still mm-hmm. working with clients. Like, time, right? Yeah. Like, so how does he do this? Right. And I promise you, it was like either in my sleep or in the shower, it hit me. Boom. That means that man knows the structure of story inside and out. Wow. If mm. you know story inside and out, you know what to write next. Right. As long as you know what you what you need to know about those characters, you are, it's, it's steeped in you. Mm-hmm. And that became my quest. How do you steep that story structure in you? Mm. And the moment I started doing it, that that was another one of those, it changes everything. It's like mm. once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm. And then that's where my mind just began to look for structures and formats. And when I change a trope, how does that change the structure? Mm-hmm. And, and then when people paid me to do their plots, I was paid to play with it. What happens wow. when you take that and you put it on a reverse harem and you got three men and one woman? What happens okay. when you take it and you introduce shifters and you introduce a, a magical kingdom and you need to know a, a magical uh, system? What wow. happens when you change it and it's inspiration and there's no heat? What happened? And all of mm. those instances basically just kept like an airplane tick, tick, tick. tick. You, you know, know. I'm yeah. telling you, your girl is cold, right? Wow. And Oh, so so. Let me ask you this.
0: So then, did you what did did you study, uh, story structure for different genres, or was yes. it specifically for oh for, because for every the
1: time court. some every time someone hired me to do it, I had to write it so that I would be able to get them in that same place for their genre and their mm, need. Okay. So I had to develop which is part of my addictive novel course is that I teach them how I was able to write those 40 something books. I remember one year I released, I think I counted 16 books. Shut up.
0: See, no, no, no. How, so how long does it take you to write a book then?
1: You don't on average. I can, I can get it down to, I, it depends on the length. I can do a novella in from beginning to end in a couple weeks. Um, a novel, depending on if I'm dictating or if I'm longhand writing, I try my mm-hmm. best to dictate as much as I can because I have risk because of all the writing. Um, mm-hmm. So now it's been really like healing in everything. Mm-hmm. But I would say on the long end, a couple months. But that's usually because I've already fully plotted. I've already sat with that story, so it that doesn't account for the duration that I've been steeping in that story. Um, And so, yeah, so I had to develop a technique of how do you get yourself um, to a point where you can understand the elements that are required to satisfy the readers in that genre.
0: Mm. Oh my gosh. So that, so that's for 16 books in a year. That's, that's more than one book a
1: month. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. I did something ridiculous. Let me tell you what it is. My friend was like, I don't know. Hey. We should write ten books in a year to do like it was supposed to be short stories. I don't want to do short stories. I end up doing novellas um, for different holidays. So it was a whole book of a whole series of holiday books. Okay. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. If I do this, then then my test was because books are always a test for me usually. Right. Um, the test was what makes up a good novella idea? Mm-hmm. Right? Because like you writing your prequel for your series, right? right? For your book, the idea that you have for a prequel is different than the idea that you need to carry a novel right? Mm-hmm. because of the word count, mm-hmm. the conflict that you select,
2: mm-hmm. um, the
1: number of side characters. I mean, I got it down to where the number of subplots that you add will usually add anywhere to, from 20 to 30,000 words to your bottom line. Wow. Just from studying stories. Yeah. So, so, so that's, so whenever I went into that, I was like, okay, if I do this differently, if I set it up this way, if I have a meet here, if I do, what happens when I introduce this truck? What ha- happens when I introduce this environment? What if they already know each other? What if they don't? Right. If, right. And so all of those things are just, and so that's what I did. So that year I already had books that was already slated to release plus wow. those 10. And I was literally in that point writing a book a month.
0: So going. how did that leave you with any time to eat, sleep, breathe? Girl, did you I have would, like zero social yeah. life?
1: I learned, I call it like, I learned that I was a binge writer. Forgive okay. me if anybody has any sort of pre-existing issues with food and all that. But yeah. I was a binge writer where I literally would steepen stuff, outline it fully, and I could probably get the draft of it finished in about a week.
0: Okay. Okay. So you are more of a plotter, not a
1: pantser right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm hardcore plotter. Oh, you are hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like Okay. Like real, but that's again, that's what I do. But in over time, like some people when they talk about like, oh, you don't got to do all this to have a plot and all that, and I realize over time, I love plotting. I love it. Like mm-hmm. I have so much fun, and and so it's a part of my creative process. So mm-hmm. I do. I plot usually even in that particular 10 book series that was 10 books i knew all 10 of the people i knew who all 10 of the couples were i knew all of the 10 the the differences the tropes that i was going to explore because i went to try different tropes and um to see whether my audience would how would they react to them and um and so yeah to me that's i mean yeah and I not all of them. I like. There's some that I don't like. This not as fun for me. But if it's any type of romance, some fantasy. But yeah, now and I get to do a lot of paranormal. Um, I do urban, African American, um, mainstream romance. So yeah, I just love it. I just love it. So how long?
0: How long were? If you don't mind me asking, how long were your plot? Like, how extensive did you go? Like, how long is this plot? Is it a one-page
1: synopsis, or is it like 15 pages? Mm, i would say for example i just recently finished a plot where i'm about to work on a trilogy and it was 15 pages okay for book okay. one just for book one okay because because in book one you're setting up the world right yeah so and it's romance and so um so it depends like i know how to i literally have a, a skeleton. For if I'm tight on time mm-hmm. and I have a skeleton I mean I have my normal skeleton where if I just have all the time where I'm building on it over time mm-hmm. because there have been elements that I know that if I don't have the answers to that it makes me having a quick fast draft for that first draft mm-hmm. take forever okay yeah so
0: is this something that you created yourself or something that you purchased or you
1: just learned I created from somebody it. else yeah, oh created- you did
0: yeah so if people take your course can they
1: can I get with that? Actually, no. The, my no. very first... I know. Good question. My very first course, which was called Dream Bigger Writers Workshop. I actually taught the students how to create their own template, which okay. is what I'm talking about right now. I don't make that course available anymore. Um, because I'm, I'm wrestling with whether I should write it as a book you for should. a long time. You I really, feel like you really there's should. yeah. a million plotting yeah. books. I'm like, who needs another plotting yeah. book? But my clients are like,
0: it never gets old.
1: Never, never. I'm, I'm yeah. working on it. Cause I yeah. literally, it's an eight module course of how do you create, um, a template that is, um, geared towards your books. Okay. So yeah. that when you sit down. And you get ready to outline those chapters, you know exactly where you should be.
0: Mm, that why. that would never get old. I, I think I think you should write it. Okay. I think you should write it.
1: <laughs> but it's, I think the end of this I would say is like I I always like to tell people like people are like how can you do all that why. It's, it's almost like both of them support each other. Mm-hmm. Being an editor is where I help other people to get to the place that they want to be in. And as you probably can hear, like, I'm a natural teacher. I know that that's just something I, I do. I can understand concepts and I can teach mm-hmm. concepts. And yeah. it just so happens that I love that I get to do it about a topic I love. Like, I would never yeah. get tired of romance novels.
2: Right. <laughs>
1: but the writing is is like the practical side of it. How Mm -hmm. does it, I always tell them, how does it perform on the page? Mm -hmm. Right. And so me doing that really makes it so that it's like, it's like I get the main course and the dessert and, and I get to love what I do. I get to see when things don't work. I get to see, oh, I got to do one more example. Another example that I have, I remember, um, when I had a client asked Mm -hmm. me to write a particular book, I had never even heard of the genre. What was it? I, it was it was called mfm which was men female, male male female okay. male which okay. is two men and a woman in a in a committed relationship okay never heard of it you right. know it was a niche and i had to figure out what the niche was and come come up with the idea uh to do it and and basically every time a, a client would come to me to challenge me with mm-hmm. the new something it was a way to perfect yeah a process right okay because, because you're giving me, it's. I'm sure that to get your doctorate degree, you're giving me um, elements that I normally would not have to wrestle mm-hmm. with. Right. Because exactly. it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not even in my right. my sphere of influence. But right. because you're introducing it now, that I've got to figure out what are the parameters what's yeah. necessary what's extra then I got to figure out how do I build these characters and then ultimately how in romance do I make it believable right, right? <laughs> that two men would agree
0: right right how do you yeah. make it
1: believable how and you so do that? how do you add the stakes how do you add yeah. the conflict and mm-hmm. um and so what it did is it just like it started really teaching me like what are the elements of a, a a novel of a story that constitutes a short story versus a novella versus a novel versus an epic? What are mm-hmm. the number of subplots that you should have to obtain this word count? Mm. When I talk to clients and they tell me their story, I can tell you in my mind what their word count can be. Ask Karen. I can almost, I can predict it almost down to 10,000 wow. words or less What? just by hearing their idea. Okay. That's amazing. But it's, but it's because of between studying and plotting but i love it so yeah. it's just like it'll never get old
0: no and but you no. sound so good at it your your clients sound like they're really fortunate to work with you
1: i hope so like i don't take yeah. a lot of them because i'm busy but yeah. i hope that i pick i love to pick people that make me feel excited to help them and to be i feel like I get to sit on the front row of like mm-hmm. the best show ever. Oh man. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Oh. Cause they're trusting you, right? As an That's editor, right. they're trusting you. And, and I see it as people are trusting you with the thing that they can be the most insecure about.
2: Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. they're
1: revealing to you the thing that either they don't know if they're good enough or mm-hmm. the story's good enough. And you see it when it's, it's not, it's not pretty a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. It's not dressed up. It's not in this Sunday's finest.
2: -hmm.
1: And and you and you tell them this is okay. We can work with this, and here's what we're going to do. And and to me, I I, that's another relationship I don't take lightly.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's good. Yeah, that's good to know. And it shouldn't, you know, because people invest their time, they invest their dreams, their finances Mm -hmm. when they're working with you. So it's
1: something that you have to really build a trusting relationship. And you are. This is something I kind of always tell my clients is like, you are also, people don't realize like you're tap dancing on someone's dream, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you got to handle it with care. But like me, I, as you can see, I'm bossy. I'd be like, listen,
0: <laughs> or not, but this is where it's
1: going to go down. And, but I also do it in a way that lets them know that their ideas and that their story and that they are safe right. in okay. my care yeah and they're so yeah. that's good because they're showing you you know they're showing you in a story that people write they're showing you their heart in yeah. some way they are showing yeah. you their heart even if they don't realize they're showing you their heart
0: mm-hmm. that's very true it's a good point yeah and well before we get off here because i can't believe our time is already almost yes! to a close oh my gosh um well one i want I want our audience to know a fun fact about you and that, that you are artsy, you know, you actually quilt. Mm-hmm. How super cool is that?
1: Yes, yeah, huh? so my yeah. daughter calls it my old lady hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but I love to quilt. It has taught me a lot about life in. And- and of course, like just sitting to think through stories or listen to audio books or yeah. listen to podcasts. So once my kids were all gone and grown, um, I have a quilting studio right across the hall where I have my machines and my fabric and it's it's my happy place. Yeah, so you, do, you, do you ever sell them or it's just for family no. and friends? It's so funny. I never, they never stay around long enough to even think about that. Like someone, oh. I know somebody I need to give it to, or somebody wants to get like, it's I, and it was so funny. I think I only have one of my own quilts. And I've been quilting for years. They never stay what? around long enough.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. I have a few now
1: that I've worked on for years. Mm-hmm. That now that I have a long arm. Which is a big kind of machine and frame. Where I can. The top stitch quilting on that I said I'm gonna keep for myself, and I want to redo my house and have like custom quilts of the same colorway around my my home. So anytime Beautiful. you're cold, you can get under one of my quilts, and so that's what I'm working on to redo it all our yeah. sitting spaces to have custom quilts yeah, and custom quilts. so yeah, it's just a hobby that I love. It's a very I always tell people it's a very expensive hobby, <laughs> but um <laughs> I, I wouldn't change it. I love it, it teaches me that. Just like writing, like you get there when you get there. Yeah. You know, Ella. some people fast, some people slow. Don't do you run your own race. Look straight on Run ahead. your own race. You know, I love yeah. it. Yeah. And so it, it aligns well with what I do.
0: Yeah. Well tell our tell our audience how um we can stay in touch with you and also if you have any new projects or events you're involved in that you'd like to update us about. Oh, goodness. Uh,
1: well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much. I, I know this is longer than normal. No, this is, this is great. This is great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can find me at dangertales.com. That's D-A-N-J-A-T-A-L-E-S.com. Mm-hmm. And that's where I do um, my writing uh, or do my editing and Um, Our courses, our upcoming workshop will be on um, character development, and we have several others that will be coming out over the course of this year. So if you join our newsletter, you can find out about them. Um, Also, um, you can find me at Janice Dixon, and that's J-A-N-E-S-E dixon dot com. Mm-hmm. That's um, my name that I write under, mm-hmm. and you can see my books, and you can go to Amazon and just see them all there. Just go ahead and peruse, grab you a copy or two. Yeah. Um, but I would say, um, and then uh, social media, Danger Tales. You can find me, um, yeah. and you can find me as Dana Pittman um, on Instagram. And but I don't be on social media a lot, so that's why I'm, I mean you can find me there, and we do. I do yeah. posts but I'm infrequent. I'm more of a newsletter kind of girl. I'm trying to get away from social media because it's like, it's time suck. I don't have time like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you built enough platform where you could do that, but you have something that works. You have your newsletter that goes out. Uh, lots of word of mouth
1: yeah wow oh, and so- the podcast too. and your podcast tell yeah. us about your podcast yeah, it's just,
0: yeah.
1: We, we are a few episodes in but i do have some great ones coming up and it's called to by the book and it really is kind of a an eclectic mix of me talking to writers and people in the um literary industry talking about their journey tips for writing um there's going to be some encouragement inspiration Mm -hmm. a couple of kicks in the tush (laughs) Um, really for people that have a dream to write I really want people to make the thing that they love the thing they do and so for people that want to pursue writing full-time and then it's not a marketing place it really is about the heart and the work that goes into it and so i mix it up i have an interview coming up with my favorite author beverly jenkins i did um interview miss beverly um i have interviews with fantasy writers um i have an interview coming up with um jennifer hilt which she wrote the trope thesaurus so we can talk about resources and things that help writers and um i had a interview recently with my pastor who is the author of learning to be mm. mm-hmm. oh it's an amazing book mm. um she she uh, chronicles well not chronicles she talks about what she learned when she had um a deep depressive um episode mm. and um and how we have to learn to be so that we can do And so we talked a lot about what are the permissions that we need to give ourselves to pursue our goals and dreams. And that's Mm -hmm. what I am. I'm hoping to to, to, uh, talk to the dreamer, right? The the closet writer. And so that's Mm going to be at Romance by the Book. And you can find it at Danger Tales. And so we're just getting started. But I have a a ton of interviews. So I'm trying to mix solo inspirational stuff with the interviews and um, hopefully get more interviews because I just love talking to people like this.
0: Yeah. Oh man. Sounds exciting. I can't wait to, um, to binge on, uh, on your podcast when I find one I like, I, I, I love binging on them. There's that word again, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been so much fun to hang out with you. And, um, man, uh, listeners, uh, you know, let's take seriously the words that she shared with, us. said, uh, people, they invite You into um, their minds when you are an author. And if you are a listener out there and you're a reader, thank you for um, doing that. Thank you for letting us come into that space. Um, Thank you for your support, you know. And um, Dana, thank you so much for all that you've poured into uh, this podcast. I feel like I've gone on a mini writer's retreat. I'm pumped. I'm energized. Come on. Oh, I'm thinking about how I can do me a book a month. <laughs> Praise <laughs> Jesus. Listen, listen, don't have your husband coming to find me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I already have a problem going to bed. So I will Ooh, not be uh, responsible. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this on record, you are not responsible. But um, man, so listeners continue, strive, um, chase those dreams. They're achievable and just know what it is to pierce through the darkness with the spoken and written word.